If you would like to earn CPE credit for listening to the show, visit earmarkcpe.com backslash FPA. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. If you would like to earn continuing education credit for your FP&A certification from the Association of Finance Professionals for listening to the show, go to the show notes for details on how to earn the credit. Finally, if you enjoy listening to FP&A today, please go to your podcast platform of choice, click the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review of the show. And now, on to the show. From Data Rails, this is FPNA Today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FPNA Today. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst, aka the FPNA Guy, and you are listening to FPNA Today. FPNA Today is brought to you by Data Rails, financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. Every week, we welcome a leader from the world of financial planning and analysis and discuss some of the biggest stories and challenges in the world of FP&A. We will provide you with actionable advice about financial planning and analysis. This is going to be your go-to resource for everything FP&A. I am thrilled to welcome today's guest on the show, Danielle Stein Fairhurst. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super excited to have you. So just a little bit of Daniela's background, and then I'll let her uh, tell us a little bit more about herself. But she comes to us from Sydney, Australia. Yes. She did her undergrad and MBA in business, and she also earned the Chartered Financial Modeling Certificate from the Financial Modeling Institute. She currently runs her own business called Plum Solutions and is the founder of Women in Financial Modeling Online. It's a meetup community. In 2021, she earned the prestigious Microsoft Most Valuable Professional Award, and she also earned this last year a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Financial Modeling Summit. And then more recently, she launched a financial modeling course on LinkedIn. So, you know, she has a ton of great experience and we're super excited to have her. So, Daniela, maybe you could start by just telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you're at today. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, I didn't start out thinking, hey, I'm going to be a financial modeler for the rest of my life. But I tell you, I didn't, I, I must say, I didn't even know what a financial modeler was when I first graduated. But uh, it was just something that I got into and found that I really, really loved it. So I started out uh, in investment banking. So most, uh, you may know that most young Australians go off traveling. And uh, as I did, and I was gone for about seven years and I ended up in the UK and uh, started in investment banking then and first started um, as an analyst there and, you know, started using Excel and I just never looked back. I absolutely loved it. And when I came back to Australia, I was just using Excel and in finance and, you know, worked in a number of different roles. And I always knew that I wanted to start a business. It was just something that I'd always wanted to do. And uh, so I decided to build the business around myself and the skills that I had because I could see how in demand those skills were. So um, so that's kind of how it came about. Great. So you started investment banking, you said UK, is that where you started kind of the career and then came back to Australia? Yes, yes. So what particularly was it, you know, that interested you so much in kind of financial modeling in Excel? What what drew you to that within kind of the finance yeah, realm? It was, uh, I guess, the idea that it was something that I found, uh, I just really enjoyed it. It's very structured. It's very technical, but it's also quite creative. Uh, so there were lots of things about it that drew me to it. And also the fact, I think, that it's quite, hard or it's perceived to be difficult and it can be it certainly can be very difficult but it's the sort of thing that most people find hard to do and it's very much in demand and so that's kind of why I started first of all I started doing it or sort of you know leasing out my my skills in that area and then found that there was a real demand for people to learn how to do this. And at that time, uh, there was no financial modeling training in Sydney. And I started a, a little course and, uh, and kind of never looked back from there because I just really enjoyed teaching as well as consulting. And I have done, I've 
been it's pretty much all I've been doing with the businesses to teach and then also to consult. So you're going into a business and helping them with their with their models, with their forecasts, and actually working on the coalface and then teaching as well, whether that's in person or, and more recently, uh, almost exclusively online. And that's just that sort of combination of those varied avenues of of income and activity, but all within literally, like I just do, I just do financial modeling with Excel and I don't use other software. So I don't need to go outside that because it's just such a huge area and there does seem to be such a high demand for those skills. So when you said you, you know, you don't go outside Excel, I, so I think this will make you laugh. The other day I put on LinkedIn, I said, uh, in three words or less, describe what you would do if Excel ceased to exist tomorrow. And there were multiple people that would cry. And I just kind of had a laugh, you know, right? I, did, I missed that. Yeah, it, it was pretty funny. I think I had about a hundred responses from people. And there were some creative ones, but there were quite a few that cry. You know, one was like, well, I'm going to short Microsoft stock. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, what would we do without Excel? You know, and it's, you know, ever since I started, you know, people, people are, Oh, Excel is dead. There's going to be something so much better than Excel. But of course there's not. Of course we, we're all uh, just using Excel all the time. And it's just something that we, uh, I just can't imagine a world without Excel for sure. No, I, I agree with you. It's really, I, we've all heard it, right? The Excel is dead. They did that for a couple of decades. And it's still the most popular software and pretty much any software that does any numbers, finance, has an export to Excel button, right? As I like to say, it's the most common feature in any software. Yep. How do I get this into Excel so that I can actually get my hands on it and turn it into something useful so I can actually use it? Mm. Yeah, no, I hear you. So, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, we're kind of chatting that you're partnering with the Global Excel Summit. This summer, it looks like to run a public masterclass. You're going to be in London for a few months. I think you said you're doing two courses, financial modeling and budgeting and forecasting. Could you talk maybe a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, you know, that's one of the things that I just love about what I do. It's just, I have so much fun every single day. And one of the things that I absolutely love doing is traveling. And, uh, you know, I love being at home here in my office um, here in Sydney, but having the opportunity to travel is amazing. And being able to to run a masterclass in London in person now that we're able to do that again is absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to go through the, it's, it's a really condensed course. So it's just one day on each of the topics and it's just going to be the best of financial modeling. So just the things that you absolutely need to know about financial modeling. Um, so it's quite hands-on. People bring laptops and they actually build a financial model during the day. They get both of my books, um, I think it was, is included as well. And um, and then the next day we do budgeting and forecasting. So that's really a bit of both. So it's more about the use of financial modeling in a budgeting and forecasting context. So you're actually looking at what skills you would need to build a budget or a forecast or being able to, um, and again, just staying within the confines of Excel, but of course, looking at what's available in terms of, um, you know, of course, we when I say Excel, I mean that we would look at how to use Power Query and Power BI, because of course, that is really part of the Excel Microsoft ecosystem. We can't ignore that for sure. No, and especially I think if you're doing budgeting and forecasting and you want to update any kind of actuals, Power Query, you should be using it. It makes it so much easier. Huge fan of that. So that makes sense. So I'm curious, budgeting and forecasting versus financial modeling, when you mentioned kind of the difference in skills, what do you see kind of as the key difference in need when you're really focused on budgeting and forecasting and you know you're going to be regularly rolling and updating versus maybe building, you know, a kind of a one-time project model or a deal model that isn't something that you know, you're maybe using for five years. Yeah. And the way I see it is that, that, that budgeting forecasting models is a subset of financial modeling because financial modeling is such a huge, huge skill set. And, but the skills are transferable across so many different disciplines. So you can build transactional models, you can build M&A models, you can build operational models, uh, you know, just so many different types of financial models. And 
those types of models that you need to build for budgeting and forecasting are very specific. So there are certain things that you need to to be able to to use, and the but the skills that you learn there are applicable across different disciplines and across all of FPNA for sure. That makes sense. That's kind of figured. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. So I'm gonna. Real quick. I know I want to talk a little bit about books. I have one of the two books you've written. Wow. So I got that one. I think I picked that one about a year ago or so. And so, you know, I know you're really passionate about educating. Mm. And so first we'll talk a little bit about the books. You've written two, the one I just showed there. And the other one, I believe, is Financial Modelings in Excel, one of the Dummies series, right? For Dummies series. Yeah. So maybe first talk a little bit about why you wrote the books and that experience, if you could. Oh, again, I mean, it was just something I always wanted to do. I mean, you just want to, who, who doesn't want to write a book? Uh, and when I had the, got the offer from Wiley Finance, I just thought, why not? It's a, you know, it's a fantastic thing to do. But of course, Excel keeps changing. And when you write something that is full of screenshots, it has a limited life. And so I've had to, that first book, Using Excel for Business and Financial Modeling, the part of the Wiley Finance series, the one you've got in your hand, that's the third, that one you've got is the latest edition. It's, it's a, yes, I was just looking. I noticed it says third edition. Third edition. Yeah, yeah. So I've had to do it three times. And the Financial Modeling in Excel for Dummies is second edition because, um, so that's updated for 365. So, so yeah, having to, it's so much work and um, so much work. And I've got to say, it's great to have done it and it's such a great thing to have. And it's actually really useful for training because if you do run, you, when I go, when I run a training course to actually give people a copy of the book as part of the training, uh, it's just great for them to have something to refer to. It's like a take home and they can, you know, they don't have to remember everything. They can, you know, write notes of where, you know, where the instructional text is for what we've talked about during the course for sure. But I've got to say, I, I did have, it's quite, it was similar, but, but quite different when I recorded the LinkedIn course, because it's, it's almost similar to writing a book in the way that it was laid out in terms of the modules and to actually put it together and make it sequential. Uh, almost as much work, <laughs> but I feel like it's a, a more dynamic medium. It's, I mean, it's similar in that if you, uh, make a mistake or if you change your mind about what you want to say, having to change it is quite difficult. So it's a similar type of thing to writing a book. Uh, but I feel like for some people, they learn better through videos. So uh, I think it's good to have both. I agree. I've, uh, you know, I've, I've written a lot. I haven't written a book, but you know, I've done obviously a lot of content with LinkedIn and different things and released my first digital course a few months ago. And I know you're talking about like, there's little things I would change now, but I already have it out. I had it professionally produced. I'm like, I don't want to go back through and re-record it. Yeah. Like, you know, cause they're, they're minor things. Like, but when you want to correct them, it, it is just like a book. It's a fair amount of work. So I can, I can appreciate that. So, you know, it's, it's clear you're really passionate about teaching. What is it you love about teaching? What, what, you know, what gets you so excited to go into a room, go to a different place and share about financial modeling. I'm, <laughs> this is going to sound ridiculous. You know, like I have friends who are, my husband's an architect and he builds things and he does amazing, amazing structures and things that are so important. You know, I have friends who are doctors or saving people's lives and doing the most amazing things. And, you know, I used to, when I first started my career and I used to think, wow, if I don't get this report out by the end of the day, no one is going to die. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I do. It's that lack of impact. You know, I, I want for every single day, every day that I go to work, I want there to be impact, you know, and every time I do something, I want to reach people and I want to help them and I want to do something that benefits not only me. I mean, I'm going to get, you know, I get paid. That's great. But I want it to be meaningful and it's really important. And when you are teaching, you, you know, you can see what a difference you're making to people. It's hard online. It's much, much harder to, particularly when people, people don't turn on their cameras, 
uh, but we <laughs> it's but you can still you still know that you're having an impact and you can still tell even without the cameras but um, and there's nothing quite like in-person training and just seeing the impact and seeing how uh, you can make their lives easier uh, and and how that you can have that kind of reach and really help people. That's what I what I love about teaching. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I love I've always enjoyed teaching. I worked a lot with youth, you know, for a number of years doing scouting as a leader and things like that. You know, now I do training today and I really enjoy that. And I totally know what you mean. It's it's more challenging online, especially if nobody has their camera on. So it's hard to tell. Are they getting it to see the faces? You know, to be able to tell the energy level. When you're in the room, it's so much easier to you're like, all right, you see, you see that interaction. You can see them face to face and talk with them. And so I agree with you. There's definitely a difference in training. I, most of my training has been remote. I've done a little bit of, you know, in person and there's definitely a difference. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell, you can get it like straight away. You're like, oh, I'm losing them because you know exactly where, you know, where they're at, where they're with you. Are they bored? Are they, you know, they're looking at their phone or whatever, you know, it, it's so much better to be able to, to, to really, and you just know, and there's that moment, that hush when you just know that everybody is really getting what you're saying and they really understanding it. And that's just fantastic. Yeah. No, I agree. It's, you know, Teaching is a, is a great thing. And it's the best is when you know you've made a difference. When you actually hear back from somebody like, Hey, I'm using what you taught me. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. The worst is when you leave and you fear that they're just going to never use what you've taught. Oh, yeah. Like I've seen that with some organizations where you're like, okay, this is just, they paid me for a day. There's not going to be an impact. And other times you're like, they, you can tell they're actually going to use it and so much more rewarding when that's the case. Yeah, one of the best things I started doing was actually, and it's quite ridiculously generous too, we actually give them 12 months of support after the course and, and we allow them to make a, um, an appointment like every month. So I open up my calendar, but only for a day or two and they come different time zones and whatever. And they just book a short call and it's one of the best things to do. It's so much fun and it's just so fantastic to get that follow-up because they can continue to learn. You know, it's not just that kind of one brain dump of, wow, I learned all this stuff, but to, to have that check in once a month. And sometimes they, they might skip a month or they might not always use it, but they know that they can just jump in and help with a formula or say, you know, I'm thinking about guidance. I'm having this problem with a colleague or whatever. Like it's almost like a, almost like a coaching session and it's lots of fun. It means that, and it allows me to connect with the people that I've met previously and it, you get that continuation of their their learning, which I think is fantastic. That's great. And that, that gives me some ideas and that's very generous. I typically will do like, we usually have a follow-up kind of Q&A after the training a week or two later. And I used to do that as a group. Yeah. And particularly for the FMI uh, training, we would do prior to the exam, we would do group uh, webinars and group sessions. And I actually found that people were silent and they just wanted the recording. They often would register, but they wouldn't turn up live and they would watch the recording, but they don't get much out of it because it's just about me pushing, me talking, me generating the content for them. And they they were just listening, whereas it's it's better if it's a, an interactive session. So we found that doing them one-on-one and just keeping them short was far more far more effective because people then have to think about what is it that I need to know? What questions do I have? We just found that better than doing a group. I mean, obviously it wouldn't work if I have, you know, I don't have hundreds of students all at once um, at, um, at any one time. We probably only have, uh, you know, a hundred or a couple of hundred students going through. So it's not, you know, I'm not completely overwhelmed with people. Uh, thanks for sharing. I uh, appreciate that. So I'm going to move on here a little bit. You know, in finance and financial modeling, we see a lot more men than women in general. And I still remember, I remember on LinkedIn, I'd actually shared a quote from your book and I talked about financial modeling and then I tagged a bunch of men. And I really appreciated you came back and said, what about the woman on the, like, you didn't even mention me and I'm the author. And I remember thinking, man, I really messed up here. You quoted from the book. <laughs> yes, I quoted a line of what a financial model was, how you defined it, because I really liked it. And I'd mentioned it was from you, but I didn't tag you in the post and you'd found it and you'd been like, wait, you've 
tag like eight men here and the author is a woman. Like, why did you do this? And I was like, and you were really nice about it, but that really hit home for me. Yes, you were very, you were very polite, but it just reminded me of the importance of, uh, you know, making sure we're being diverse and recognizing everybody in, in the field and, you know, in financial modeling and in finance in general, we see a lot more men than women. So I know you've been very active in trying to get more women involved. I know you started the woman in, you know, financial modeling online meetup community. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about kind of why you started that and why that's kind of a passion project of yours? Yeah, I just sort of wanted to try to encourage and to raise the profile of women in our profession because I think there's plenty of women who work in finance, in FP&A as financial modelers. You just don't necessarily hear from them. And it's just a way of trying to raise their profile, trying to give them a safe space to uh, to learn from each other and to get together and I would love to make it open to men as well, but I find that women don't talk as much. We don't, they don't, wouldn't talk as much if it was a mixed group. And we, at the moment, we've just been, lately, we've only been getting together and we train for the Financial Modeling World Cup. So we've actually got a session tomorrow, early in the morning, our time, which will probably be late for you. And we get together and we go through the cases of what was in the Financial Modeling World Cup and, and say, well, well what, did you, what did you think about that question? And oh, that one was really hard and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And just kind of talk about the, about, about the round in general. So, but sometimes we have interviews uh, and, you know, just different sort of forums to to just talk about issues. Um, I'd love to do more. I think it's a great forum. I just don't have a huge amount of time uh, to do it. I would would like to spend more time on it, but um, it's kind of, uh, yeah, so that was was the reason that I started to um, do it, just to try to get more women involved and to hear from more women. Mm. That's great. I'm really glad you did that because I agree with you. You don't hear as much. I mean, I know I can even see that sometimes you know, when I'm looking for guests, I get a much higher response rate from men than I do women to be on the show, you know? And so it's trying to balance that because I'd like more women. I'm always, you know, kind of looking and it, it becomes a challenge because I'll spend, you know, I'll reach out to about three times as many women as I will men to get people on the show. They're just much, they tend to be much more comfortable coming on the show. And so I'm, I'm grateful when I, you know, can get them on the show because you guys have so much to offer. And I find, you know, there's often a different perspective and you know, some of the smartest people I've worked with. And so I appreciate you, you know, making that concerted effort to make sure their voice is heard. I think it's important. It is. Um, you do have to work quite hard to make sure that you have equal representation. And it's often in a lot of conferences, they need to really make an effort to make sure that women are submitting because they just don't. And, and often they sort of put out like a blanket, like a for, when they, a call for speakers, they would just put out a, a blanket call for speakers and a whole lot of men will, will go, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, you know. And I'm probably, <laughs> I'm a bit like that too. I'll kind of like, yeah, 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 I'll talk, I'll talk, I'll talk. Like, hang on, I don't even know what it is I'm talking about, but I'll talk, yeah, I just love talking. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> happy to, to do that, but that's probably um, a little bit unusual. And yeah, so they have to really sort of go and track down and actually um, make sure that there are sufficient women that are uh, being invited to speak. So I think it's really important. I agree. And when you reminded me, it's really helped me focus on making sure that diversity, it's become something I'm more conscious of because sometimes you don't even realize it. You just kind of go with the people you yeah. you mostly work with or know. And sometimes yeah, at different times, they tend to be dominant to one group or another. And so I totally agree with you. Whatever event you're doing, try to be consciously aware of how you can have diverse opinions, right? And it goes much beyond just gender. But that's one thing to consider is, and how do you make sure you're bringing in those different viewpoints and different people from different backgrounds? Because that's how we all learn. It's how we learn the most is having diverse opinions to, and, you know, thoughts and backgrounds and experiences to learn from. For sure. So, you know, one other thing I want to ask a little bit is I know you, uh, you love the mic, as you told me. You, I know you mentioned you do it. You're an announcer on a community radio station. You also do some announcing for financial model, modeling World Cup, Excel Esports. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that experience? What it's like you know, for you to announce that type of event? 
Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. It's the sort of thing where I think it's <laughs> because the competitors, uh, it can be quite hard to follow, I think. So the competitors are really fast and we are switching. So it's XL eSports. Usually there's different types of battles, different times of the year. We've, I've been doing it for a couple of years and uh, they just kind of, it's as a as a commentator, it's our job to kind of explain what's going on on the screen and to kind of make it accessible and interesting for the audience so they can kind of follow perhaps a little of what's going on if I can follow what's going on because they're really fast so they've got you know multiple screens going and they're sort of flicking between them and they're, they're usually solving a question very very quickly and it's really really fun because we don't know what the solution is going to be so they have usually they have one that we did a couple of weeks ago had uh one uh one question and uh each game went for 10 minutes and we had i think four competitors and we they and multiple rounds of the same game and we were kind of watching them we'd seen the competition beforehand and thought about how to solve it. But then when the competitors go and you go, wow, I didn't think of solving it like that. That's a completely different tact. And my co-host and I would go through it in advance and say, well, how would you do it? Yeah, how would you do it? And then the competitors come up with something completely different and you go, wow, what are they doing? And, you know, this use of dynamic arrays formulas or use of a data table or or some other type of power query or something that you think, wow, I would not have thought of doing it like that. And it's absolutely kind of edge of your seat kind of stuff <laughs> because you just don't know what they're going to do. And you're like, wow, that's a formula that I did not expect to see today. And yeah, just seeing how they, how they, how they solve these problems is, um, is absolutely amazing and so much fun. Yeah, I, I bet. So I have to ask. Because I, I love his voice and, you know, listening to him. Have you had the opportunity to co-host with Oz? No, no. I think because we're in different time zones. That would make sense. Yeah, I have actually met him in person and he's lots of fun. Um, yes, I love I love how he uh, he commentates for sure. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his videos. He's just, you know, his storytelling folks, his style is unique. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious on that. All right. So, you know, next question here, I wanted to ask you a little bit. This goes back a little bit about women. You know, let's say there's someone listening that really wants to get, you know, more involved in finance, financial modeling as a woman. Any advice you would offer, you know, any things that you found has helped you in your career mm. you would offer? Yeah. Yeah. If somebody wants to get into financial modeling. Yeah. And particularly, let's say there's a woman who wants to get more active. Maybe they want to get involved, you know, in the World Cup or some of those things. What would you, what would you say to them? Yeah. I probably wouldn't say go into the World Cup first off because it's, um, quite. Yeah. Very competitive. It's, uh, yeah. I, I kind of every, every time I compete, I, whoa, whoa. It's, um, it's so it's not exactly an ego booster when you um when you sit the financial modeling world cup that's probably why i haven't done i've had a few people tell me i should compete and i'm just like no i've seen what they could do and they'll just wipe the floor with me is what i say yeah it's it's not i, I wouldn't say start there because <laughs> it's um you probably give up it's not a good place to start i think but uh, you know once you once you know what you're doing you get some experience but um i would say the best place to start is to just start uh just Start using Excel. Um, give yourself every opportunity to use Excel um, for financial modeling, for whatever in your work. So if you are working in FPNA, make sure that you are the person that's building the models. You know, get the opportunity to use that. You know, volunteer for these projects and say, "Hey, I'll do, I'll do this," and you know, show the aptitude that you have, particularly when it comes with working with Excel, if you're not working in um, in that kind of role, uh, you can absolutely build models for your own personal investments, for your cash flow, that sort of thing. There are lots of examples online that you can go to. You can have a look at how people build these things and then try to create them, even on some of the financial models, once you get better at, at um, once you get some experience and have a look at the Financial Modeling World Cup examples because they will actually give you the solution. That's probably, it is an absolute bargain, I've got to say, because you sign up for it and I don't know, it's, it's not terribly expensive, but they will actually, once you've 
set for it, even if you bomb, even if you don't do very well at all, you get given the solutions, which is fantastic. So you can actually go through and see exactly how it, what, it's not the only way to build it, but it's a way to build it. And it's a, it's a great learning experience. You know what it is like. 13 different spreadsheets emailed out to 23 different budget holders. Multiple iterations, version control, errors, back and forth updates. You never really feel in control of the consolidation and collection process. Yep, I've been there. Stop, breathe. DataRails is the financial planning and analysis platform for Excel users. DataRails takes data from all your company's disparate sources. No organization is too complex, consolidating everything into one place, secured in the cloud. Now all your data finally talking to each other. Everything is automated back into your report in Excel. Cash flow, FX conversion, intercompany transactions, now automated and up-to-date. Drill down and variance analysis in seconds. Don't replace Excel. Embrace Excel. Turn your Excel into a lean, mean FPNA machine. Find out more at www.datarails.com. Uh, th- that does sound like a great one. And I liked how you said budget, you know, do your own budgeting, whether it's an investment or something. I had on uh, Chris Riley, who's re- done some courses and teaches financial modeling. And, you know, his advice was model your life is how he put it. He goes, most of the things I learned about Excel, it was by building my own models for myself is really how to do it. And so I, I really kind of like that advice. And, you know, you mentioned some similar things there. And I like, you know, as you continue to advance, look at things like World Cup and learn from others, right? When you see the way others solve it, it gets you thinking about things you wouldn't think of. Like you do your your attempt, like you mentioned watching them, and you're like, wow, I would have never thought of solving something that way. Because there's always there's always more than one way, if not 10 different ways to solve something in Excel. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just you, you, you do it your way, the way that your brain works. And I have learned things off people I have never even met because you look at their models, you take them apart and you kind of work out how their mind works, which is completely different to your own. And the design and the way that they lay something out, you go, oh, that's really interesting. And it kind of, and every model that you build, every model that you take apart is going to make you a better modeler because you might spend ages nutting through something and going, how did I do that? And then the next time you come across that problem, you'll be able to solve it like that. And you're going to be so much faster at that sort of problem. And you'll be able to take that solution that little bit further. And by doing these sorts of uh, things like preparing for one of the FMI exams or sitting for the Financial Modeling World Cup, those sorts of things, ways that you can just consistently build your skills so that you'll just become a better modeler and you'll be so much faster. You'll think of better solutions that you just wouldn't otherwise. And you, the, and the other thing that is fantastic about these uh, things where you put yourself under pressure, particularly with the Financial Modeling World Cup, you have two hours and you have to finish certain cases. There's three cases and it's <laughs> very few people. I certainly don't get through every single part of the cases. I just kind of do as much as I possibly can in the time. And you're under pressure and it's stressful and you're, you know, putting yourself in that situation is such good training because it is low stakes. It doesn't matter. It is, you can, you can be anonymous. You don't even have to have your name up there. Um, and that's what's so fantastic about it. You can just go for it and um, and then at the end of it, you go, oh, well, I bombed. It doesn't matter. And look at, oh, how, how I could have done better next time. And then when you are in an interview or you're in a, a real situation at work and you have got to get something done in a certain time frame, it's got to be right. It's got to be accurate. And it's got to be done quickly. You are going to be so much better at it as a result. I love that. Great, great advice. You're uh, you're making me think that I might have to try out one time if I think my ego can handle it. <laughs> yeah, it is quite ego crushing. <laughs> <laughs> 
I appreciate you being honest about that. And like, yeah, I have a friend who's a big financial model or two. And someone's like, you should join this. And he looked at him and goes, I would get clobbered. He's done a few. He mentioned how hard they are. Also, remember, it's not real. It's not real life. All of these things, the games, the esports, they're not, they're just uh, simulated. And, uh, and, and one of the, you know, the problems with the World Cup is that it's about trying to get uh, the answers quickly. And the model that you build is not the sort of model that I would build for a client because it's, it's single use. It's not repeatable and it's not properly generally. They've, the solutions that they give you are well structured, but the models that I build when I'm competing are certainly not well structured at all. Sure. I, I mean, it's more for the learning, the pressure, the experience, thinking differently, the logic. It's not like you're going to take what you built there and that's going to be your ideal budgeting and forecasting model that you're going to use for the next couple of years, right? Because you're thinking, how quickly can I get this done? Which is very different than how can I make this productionalized so it's easy to update and reuse month to month? That I totally agree. Those can be very different logic and they're both beneficial and they can help each other, but they're just different environments and different ways of thinking when you're doing a competition versus a work assignment. That's a really good point. And particularly when it comes to budget models, the the reuse of them is just so valuable, uh, being able to use the same templates and to be able to, you know, have that forecast, like a rolling forecast that you're just going to be able to roll forward. Like I've had models that the clients come back to me 10 years later and they say, oh, I've been working this and I've eventually run out of rows and something's broken. And I go, oh my goodness, are you still using that model? That is amazing. And they go, oh yeah, yeah, I just changed the, I just changed the model start date and everything just rolls through. And I go, wow, I am doing myself out of a job here because <laughs> they're just reusing the same models over and over again. It is pretty amazing how long they can last sometimes. Like I got an email from someone I worked with and I've been out of the company for like two years and they're like, yeah, I was just thinking of you because I was watching one of your videos explaining how to, you know, calculate some sales commissions in a mo- commission model I had built. And I was like, oh, good luck. Like, I guess you're still using it. So it must work. Yeah. I mean, the thing with, with Excel is that a lot of, I look sometimes back at these old models that I built and I go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did it like that. Like, why, you know, why wouldn't I have used a dynamic array? Because we didn't have dynamic arrays back then. <laughs> And I just want to go through and completely rebuild it and going that does it, it works, it works. And the thing is that the old features still work generally, um, but it's we know that there's a more efficient way of building it now. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I look at things I did, you know, 10 years ago and I'm just like, what was I thinking? Like, this is, you, you feel like, yeah, exactly. You want to just jump in and rebuild it because you're like, this is so inefficient. And some of it's because you've learned more and some's because the software's changed, like dynamic arrays is a prime example. So next question here. I know in, in 2021, you first earned the MVP, the most valuable professional from Microsoft. And then last year, as we mentioned, you'd earned the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Financial Modeling Summit. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what that was like, those kind of those experiences of being recognized that way? Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, well, the MVP thing is an annual award. So you get the award for the work that you do in the community and it's not for any kind of work. It's, it should be for something that you do just to, to basically as a, as an ambassador for the product and, and it's, which is really easy to do because, you know, we all love Excel and we just go on about Excel all the time. And, um, it's really to recognize people who, who are really spreading the word about, about Microsoft Excel. And um, we get the opportunity to give feedback to Microsoft about the about the product and that sort of thing. We get to go to the summit, which I haven't actually been to yet because it's uh, was online, and would love to to do that if I am a continue to be an, an MVP next year. If you you have to do a certain amount of activity within the community to stay an MP, MVP, which is great. It's um it's a fantastic thing to be. It gives you you know, a lot of great uh, access to Microsoft and um, yeah, you just get to to talk about what you love, which is using Excel. Uh, and the the Lifetime Achievement Award, Award was 
amazing. Like I was uh, really not not expecting that at all. So it was quite an honor. Well, congratulations. No, that is that is a big honor, and it just shows the great work you've done. I mean, I've been following you for a few years on LinkedIn. I've watched a few videos on your website around financial modeling, and I've been aware of the great work you're doing for a while now. So I think it's definitely well deserved. So congratulations on that. And you know, next question I want to ask a little bit here on is Financial Modeling Institute. I know you've been involved a little bit of that. You've had a you have a course related to that. So maybe can you talk a little bit of you know your experience working with that organization and also taking the tests? Just maybe talk a little bit about that. Yes. So it's really the only kind of practical qualification for financial modelers. So it's just you know, there's lots and lots. When, when it first came out, I was just thought, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to do a test to prove that I'm a financial modeler. I know I'm a financial modeler. I don't need to prove it. And, <laughs> and I didn't do it at first. And then I went, actually, it's pretty cool to have that, you, you know, and that way people know if you have that qualification, people know it is such a high standard and it's it's quite difficult. So it's, you know, anyone who has that qualification, you know that they can be the level one, the advanced financial modeler, the AFM. You have to build a three-statement model, so a an income statement, a cash flow and a balance sheet within four hours. And, yeah, getting it getting the whole thing built and fully fully working so you know that anyone who has that qualification can do that so they're a reasonable modeler Um, level two is a whole lot of different types of models and problems and and solutions so there's a couple of different you can choose a few different models to build for that Uh, and then there is a level three which is um, coming i believe yeah that that's my understanding is that one's coming well congratulations on that and like it's something i've wanted to sit for that i have in the future covid i kind of delayed that but i'm getting there yeah i'm sure you yeah i mean i think for someone who's who already has the 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 basics of financial statements I, i don't think it was would be that much it's certainly not you know, massive amount of work, but you know, you do need to prepare and you do need to rehearse. And uh, that was the reason why I set up a an on demand prep course so that people to to take people through the course and just to to try because it's totally it's the sort of thing that is quite rehearsable. So it's quite easy to train someone to do it because it is literally the the three statements are, are always different of course different companies different numbers but the format and the layout and what you need to build is almost exactly the same um, for every exam so that was why I wanted to build something that would help people to pass that exam totally makes sense and that's what I've seen in studying it and you know the biggest thing for me is all my experience are primarily has been with large companies and you're not building three statement models. So I didn't do my first three statement model for work till about two, three years ago. Yeah. You know, and I had I, the first one I did was for a client. And yeah, it took me about four hours to find out why my balance sheet wouldn't balance. And I could kick myself when I was done. But you know, I was able to build the whole model because the PL, the revenue, all that stuff was easy. The headcount for me, the time was spent on, okay, making sure my schedules are right and stuff ties. Cause I understood the statements. I get, you know, how they link and. Yeah, it was, yep, it was those type of things. And so, you know, I think it's great to, I wish everybody had to start with that core of really understanding and being able to build that integrated three statement. Cause I think it provides a very solid foundation. Even if you're in the type of role where you're not going to use it like mine, you're, you know, I'm forecasting for American Express. I'm not going to be forecasting the balance sheet. I'm doing P&L and revenue and headcount and those type of things. Because like you said, there's a lot of different areas you can get into when it comes to financial modeling. For sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, it is something that every modeler needs to have those skills. Totally agree. I think those are all important points. So next question I have here for you. I'm curious to get your take. I recently had Inshoner on the podcast. I know you had listened to that episode and shared some things about it. You know, one of the things he mentioned, he said, far and away, the biggest problem with financial models is design. And so I'm curious, what's your take on that? Do you agree that that tends to be the biggest problem with financial models, or do you think it's something else? I do agree, absolutely. I uh, agreed uh, with a lot of things that Ian Shaw says, which, yes, I, I definitely uh, would say that I, design is often a big problem. I don't know whether it's necessarily, there are lots and lots of 
problems with the way that that people <laughs> build models. I think probably yeah, just so many so many different issues with the way the models that you know when you inherit somebody else's models and you you have to look through them and think, oh my gosh yes and design is certainly often a really big problem uh, with the models that you you inherit from someone else just being able to follow them and what the heck and you know just trying to trying to figure out how the model works how it flows uh how it actually hangs together is often uh, a very big a big issue but probably i think errors is something that's very concerning you know you're not as a modeler if you are not constantly constantly vigilantly searching for errors you have a problem because there will be like without fail there will be errors in your model so just having that constant constant vigilance yeah so errors building in error checks people not not building models efficiently having models that are too big and slow and inefficient in how they're hang together which I guess yes that is design actually just being really slow and repetitive and that's that's a real issue with the models I totally agree as far as size I once uh inherited a model that was 1.3 gigabytes Ooh. yes and you know the person's like yeah it, it opens pretty quick on my 64 gig machine I'm like okay if you need a 64 gig machine to open your excel file you got bigger problems yeah well okay yeah, so that that was the largest I've ever dealt with, and there were some definite design issues. Number one being Excel is not a large database. No, would be the first issue. Yeah, and we often have the the model, the data sitting within the model, and it yeah it just really slows things down and clogs it up. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I know our time's coming up here, so we're going to move into you know kind of final phase here. Just a couple, a little more personal questions that we ask everybody as we wrap up. So the first one we like to ask all our audience is what's something unique you can tell us about yourself, something we wouldn't find online about you? When I did my undergraduate, I actually majored in Korean language and I learned to speak Korean reasonably fluently. And I lived in Korea for three years after I graduated and to this day do not use that skill at all. So being able to speak Korean is really not that, really not that useful. I, although I did actually go to um, a little town in the south of Korea just a couple of years ago to do uh, an FMI exam, uh, which was lots of fun, and I did actually get to get to use my Korean language. But uh, yeah, that's probably not something you would know about me. Yeah, I definitely will say that's one I didn't know. I had no idea. That's that's cool. So thank you for sharing that one. Next one. This is one of my favorite questions to ask everybody: is what's your favorite? thing about Excel? Formula, feature, you know, do you have a favorite kind of function? Oh my gosh, how can I answer that? That is, that is completely impossible. It's like asking me to choose between my children. I mean, how can I, how could I say, how could I say? <laughs> oh, there's just so many, so many fantastic features. Uh, there's so many, so many of the functions I couldn't live without. And it's always amazing when something's only been around for, you know, a year or so. And I, I can't believe, how did I ever live without this? You know, like the sequence function, for example, the unique function. It's, it's, I've, I've not been using it that long. And then all of a sudden it just becomes part of your repertoire and you just can't imagine life without it. And then, um, when I was in Cairo recently, I had to run a course for, they were using, 2019, which is not 365. Yeah. So we had to use basically all the, we couldn't use XLOOKUP. We had to go with VLOOKUPs and just having to go back and live without those features is, um, was quite a challenge. Mm. Yeah. I recently did a training for a company that wasn't on 365 and mm -hmm. yeah, all the formulas I, cause usually I introduce a lot of people to XLOOKUP, unique, those type of things. And I all of a sudden had to be like, Oh wait, I can't try. I got to change my course here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I could relate to that one. So is there a, a kind of a favorite one you've been learning about recently? Like any kind of, you know, recent kind of new formula that you've really enjoyed? You mentioned sequence unique, mm. any of the other kind of new dynamic arrays or text formulas they've come out with in the last year that... I got to say, I found when the filter function first came out, I did find it a little bit tricky to find a um, just, just to kind of, it's just not exactly intuitive. So I try to use that one all the time because it just, you just want it to just roll off the fingers, don't you? You just want to be able to, to use it very quickly because I still always find it 
um, a little bit difficult. And just when the new functions come out to try to make sure that you're using them and finding uses for them, but not if the client is not using 365. That's something you're always having to remember. Yeah, totally agree. It's a bit big thing to remember. So thank you for sharing that. And yeah, and filter's a fun one, but yeah, it does take a while to get used to. It's a different logic for it. So it's taken me a little while to get used to that. So, you know, next question here, and then we'll have one final question as we wrap up is if someone was starting a career today, say they were working in, you know, FPNA, so they're going to be doing obviously a lot of budgeting and forecasting. Any advice you'd offer somebody starting a career today? Oh, learn Excel. <laughs> Yeah, just making sure that you have really, especially for people starting their career, because it is not going anywhere. It is, these are skills that you are going to have right throughout your career. It's something that it's highly unlikely that wherever you, particularly if you're, certainly if you're working in FP&A, but in, in any kind of office environment, I mean, it's very unusual, it's unusual for people not to need to use Excel and to have those skills and having good Excel skills right at the beginning of your career is something that you're going to use right throughout it. So, so definitely just get, getting to grips with Excel and, and staying up with all the new features is um, a really good skill to have. Totally agree. Great advice there. I mean, learning that, especially early in your career when you're using it every day and often most of the day. So great advice. So last question, if someone wants to get a hold of you to learn more, about you and what you do, what's the best way to do that? Like you, I just hang out on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I am all the time. So that's probably the best way to get in touch with me. Great. And we'll make sure to include that in the show notes so people can reach out there. We'll also put your uh, website. But thank you so much, Daniela, for the time. I really enjoyed getting to talk with you. Appreciated it. And you know, look forward to uh, continuing to learn from you on LinkedIn and see all the great content and things you're coming out with. So thanks for uh, making some time for us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. And thank you for the fantastic podcast. I do really enjoy listening to it every week.